On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, everything kind of cooled down for almost like two years or so. Um, because I think that, no, yeah, it happened in two, 2007. Everything cooled down for like two years. Not even two years, maybe a year or so. And so one day, I get a phone call from a guy who I knew. In fact, I owed the guy some money. His name is Brian McLeod. And he wasn't, he had just came home from jail and he said it was very important that he, um, he meets up with me. Now, I look out for a lot of guys, man. I send money to probably over 30 people in jail because I know a lot of these guys didn't have money. A lot of these guys been in, in jail for a long time. Um, so I try to help out a lot of guys. He, this guy was one of them who I would send money to, who I would make sure he would ask me, hey, my daughter need a pair of sneakers. Can you make sure she buys, you buy her, she gets some money for her sneakers? I would get those kind of letters weekly, and I would, I would do it. If I could do it, I would do it. So this guy comes home, and he tells me that he was in jail with Joel Fletcher, who had admitted to, to assaulting my son. However, my son uncut unequivocably told me that it was Yayo that, that, that assaulted him. I never had um, Luell Fletcher or any of those guys on my radar. I definitely had Yayo on my radar. Um, but they, they just stayed away from me. So he comes home and he tells me, look, I got a line on this guy, Fletcher. He was in jail with me. He's coming home in another two weeks. How you want me to deal with it? I look at the guy. Now, mind you, I'm not, I'm back to my normal routine. I'm putting out albums. I'm traveling. I'm not even, because it, it, it was so many things that happened after that that I was like, I'm cool on that. I'm not even worried about that. My son is okay. He's in school. It's all right. So anyway, I tell the guy. I meet up with him, and I tell him, is, is that right? He's coming home in two weeks. I say, you know what? Um, I owe you some money anyway. But um, I got 30000 for you. I need you to bring bring Lowell Fletcher to me. Um, and really and truly, my intentions was really to really beat the shit out of this guy. So, and this is all of the stuff that comes out in trial. The guy, Brian McLeod, testifies to the fact that um, I did tell him to bring him to me. And in fact, me and him had like three conversations. My lawyer asked him on trial, he says that any time, any time, any conversation you had with Jimmy, did he tell you to go kill Lowell Fletcher? Brian McLeod answers, no, he didn't. He only asked me to bring him to him. Then why did you go and kill a guy? What happens is that I have another conversation with him, 
And he tells me, yo, I'm going to meet up with him. I say, okay, let me know when you're going to meet up with him. I want to be around so you can bring him to me. I'm going to hit him hard and fast. This is what, I don't remember saying that, but this is what the guy testifies to, that I told him that I was going to hit him hard and fast. I don't know how hard and fast means murder. Because if I'm having a Claddenstein a conversation with a guy, I'm going to tell him, bring him to me so I can kill him. Or I'm going to tell him to go kill him for me. So when we, in cross-examination, when my lawyer is asking him, did Jimmy ever tell you to go kill a guy? He says, no. I just figured if Jimmy has 30000 for me to bring him to him, you'll have double that if I kill him. The guy set up a meeting with this guy, and they go and they kill a guy. They shoot the guy. I don't know if they really even meant to kill him. He even says that he didn't mean to kill a guy. But he goes and he shoots the guy, and the guy ends up dying. So, of course, of course now, here I am with this drug case. I should have never been charged for murder. Because three people testified. You got Khalil Abdullah. He wasn't at the present of any of the conversations nor was he present at the murder scene. Khalil testifies and says that I told him these guys ain't going to be happy until they go to a funeral. I don't know how that equates to me ordering a, a murder. You have Muhammad Stewart who's been chasing me for two years who tries to talk to me about murder. I never have a conversation with me, but he claims he's my best friend. I never confessed to them that I told anybody to kill a guy. He gets on the stand and he says that I say one of those guys need to be in a coffin. I don't know how that equates to me hiring some guys to go kill somebody. You got the one guy, the one guy who's on the scene when the guy dies, who claims he has all of the conversations with me. He states, I never told him to go kill nobody. So I don't even understand how I'm even convicted for murder. They should have never even indicted me for that case. Because the, the charge that they, they charge me with is murder for hire. In order for the elements of murder for hire, you have to reach two elements. One of them, I have to have the intent to kill. The second element is I have to pay somebody to go kill. Those are the two elements of murder for hire. So I don't understand how if the one guy who I had the conversation with says I never told him to kill him because I have to have intent to murder. And, and to say that I only gave him the money to bring the guy to me, I don't, I don't understand how I was convicted for murder for hire. And the first trial I had this call is from a federal prison. The first trial I had um, wasn't a, was a hung jury. They took me to trial with a guy named Johnson who had got found in the stash house with the machine gun and drugs and stuff. So they, they tried to bias the trial in saying that I'm head of this organization and they have drugs and they got machine guns and then they start talking about so when I'm not convicted for that job, when I'm not convicted, he he loses to the drug that I already got convicted for in Brooklyn, and he, he gets a hung jury with me on the murder, 
And so they decide not to take him to trial anymore. And then they just take me to trial. And I think they just rolled the dice because they felt that the drug case would have been reversed. So to make sure that I end up with a life sentence, they took me to trial anyway, which which I believe they really shouldn't have took me to trial. And so one of our, our biggest arguments at, on the appeal is the insufficiency of evidence. They never reach the elements of the, of the charge. You know, you, again, like I explained, there's two elements to that charge, and they never reach those elements. What does summer sound like in a new Chevy? Find the best way to the ballpark with the Chevy Equinox navigation system. Load up the kayaks with room to spare in the spacious Chevy Trailblazer with 60-40 split folding rear seats. Haul out the camper and spend a night roasting marshmallows with the Chevy Silverado. Or feel the roar of the crowd and bring the whole crew along in the Chevy Traverse with seating for up to eight. So what are you waiting for? Click now and find summer happiness in a new Chevy. See your Valley Chevy dealers. Traverse seating update standard and LS available on LT with second row bench seat, RS Premier, and High Country Seat 7. After being convicted of the CCE charge in the Eastern District, James Rosemont was charged by the Southern District with conspiracy to commit murder. The victim was Lowell Fletcher. The story of this case might be one of the more fascinating legal examinations inside the Southern District, as it took three cases, three tries by the United States Attorney to convict Jimmy. In order to understand the three trials, you have to go back and examine and read thousands upon thousands of trial transcripts. And you have to use your common sense. You'll need a lot of that. This is Samson Esner, the assistant U.S. attorney for the Eastern District, played by a voice actor. Here is his opening statement. May it please the court, counsel, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. James Rosemont could sleep again. His war with G-Unit was over. Before Tony Yale, Lowell Fletcher and members of G-Unit slapped, threatened with a gun and attacked his son, the feud between Zara Entertainment and G-Unit, well at least as Khalil Abdullah put it, was a fight between two rap artists and their management crews. The shooting at Hot 97, the shooting at Violator Records, the altercation at the Apollo and subsequent shooting of Tony Yeo's Bentley in Harlem, well, those acts of violence were more bravado, a history of dislike and the need to maintain street credibility. But when Lowell Fletcher and Tony Yeo put their hands on Jimmy the henchman's son, the feud became a war. Bravado became personal hatred, and shootings at bulletproof cars and office doors turned into a revenge-driven and sleep-depriving vendetta that would only end once a G-Unit member found himself in a coffin. Immerse yourself in the fascinating tale of Song of Solomon by the legendary Pulitzer Prize-winning author, Toni Morrison, a mesmerizing coming-of-age masterpiece that has captivated readers around the world. Follow the protagonist, Milkman Dead, who was born shortly after a neighborhood eccentric hurled himself off a roof in a vain attempt at flight. For the rest of his life, Milkman too will be trying to fly. As Morrison follows Milkman on a quest to uncover his roots and himself in his Rust Belt hometown to the place of his family's origins, she introduces an entire cast of strivers 
and seeresses, liars, and assassins, the inhabitants of a fully realized black world. As the New Yorker put it, Morrison moves easily in and out of the lives and thoughts of her characters, luxuriating in the diversity of circumstances and personality. Whether you're a seasoned reader or new to Toni Morrison, Song of Solomon is a must-read that will ignite your imagination and leave you wanting to read more Morrison. Song of Solomon, a timeless tale that will stay with you long after you've turned its final page. Available now at TonyMorrison.com and wherever books are sold. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out every once in a while at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. When you strip away all the sensational elements of the conspiracy to commit murder trials of James Rosemond, you need to look at the facts of the killing and who was involved, why they were involved, and how did at least four characters that you will get to know find themselves in the Bronx on September 26, 2009, the night of the murder. You must start with the first trial and what the government told the jury what actually happened. This is Samson Esner. May it please the court, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. Three and a half years ago on a Sunday evening, a man named Lowell Fletcher got off the subway at the Mount Eden stop in the Bronx. Lowell went there to meet up with a man he knew as Slim. Lowell had recently gotten home from prison. Lowell and Slim had served time at the same prison, and Slim had reached out to Lowell and offered to take Lowell out for drinks and give Lowell some money. So Lowell Fletcher went to the meeting place that Slim had suggested. In the darkness of that Sunday night, Lowell looked around for Slim, but Slim was nowhere to be found. Instead, a man wearing a black hooded sweatshirt came out of the shadows, pointed a gun with a silencer at Lowell, and then shot round after round into Lowell's back. Lowell Fletcher died later that night. He was 32 years old. Slim never intended to help Lowell Fletcher out. Slim lured Lowell Fletcher to that spot so the man wearing the black hooded sweatshirt could gun Lowell Fletcher down in cold blood. 
Both Slim and the man in the black sweatshirt were members of a murder crew that was hired to kill Lowell Fletcher. In looking at the first trial, both Jimmy and Rodney Johnson, nicknamed Torre, sat at the defendant's tabletop to face the charges. Let's clarify, per the government, who was a part of this conspiracy. The government states that Jimmy was the mastermind and he enlisted Brian McLeod, also known as Slim, Derek Grant, and Jimmy's driver, Jason Williams. Derek Grant was the shooter. The others played pivotal roles. This was the government's theory. These are names that you must remember. And believe me, it's a little confusing at times. So I'll try to clarify. The government narrative is complex and at times weird in trying to prove Jimmy paid for this murder with a kilo of cocaine worth $30,000. Not actual cash, but a brick of cocaine. Here is Samson Esner again in his opening statement. Rodney Johnson was Roseman's backup man for the murder. Johnson was waiting in a car at the scene during the murder, ready to step in as backup if anything went wrong. And on behalf of Roseman, Johnson delivered payment to other members of the murder crew. Shortly after the murder, Johnson gave Slim a box containing a slab of cocaine worth about $30,000 on the street that was used to pay Slim and Derek Grant for the murder. The evidence you will hear during this trial will prove that the defendants in this case, James Rosemond and Rodney Johnson, agreed with others to have a member of G-Unit murdered and that they accomplished their goal that Sunday evening in September of 2009 by having others shoot and kill Lowell Fletcher. When the federal prosecutors present a case, they obviously have to provide evidence to a jury. In this first trial, I'm curious as I read the transcripts, what that evidence will be. Knowing the U.S. Attorney a little bit, they will have informants, informants and names that you are familiar with from this podcast. But what other evidence will they have? Cell phone tower information, the gun, video evidence, financial information. Let's see. For example, you're going to hear in this trial from Slim, the man who lured Lowell Fletcher to his death. Slim will tell you firsthand about discussions he had with Roseman and Johnson about the murder, how he lured Fletcher to the spot where Fletcher was killed, and how he was paid afterwards with cocaine delivered by Johnson on behalf of Roseman. You'll hear from a worker in Roseman's cocaine organization who led agents to the stash house in Queens where they arrested Rodney Johnson. You'll hear from another witness who committed numerous acts of violence on behalf of Roseman in his feud with the G-Unit. And you'll hear from a man who served as the day-to-day manager of Roseman's cocaine organization. Make no mistake about it, these insider witnesses are just like the defendants. All of these insider witnesses have committed serious crimes. You're going to hear from these witnesses about the crimes they committed, and you'll hear about how they were arrested in this investigation, about how the government caught them, charged them, and prosecuted them. Brian McLeod, or Slim, is the key. He's the government's star witness, and he says he was a part of the conspiracy to commit murder with Jimmy. So if you believe Slim is telling the truth, then this case, for a jury, 
it's pretty cut and dry. He describes in his testimony how the murder was planned and who carried it out. But again, you have to believe Slim because when Slim was arrested for the murder, he faced the death penalty. And in facing the death penalty, a witness might say anything to get out of being executed. But we will get into that a little later. For example, you're going to hear about cell phone evidence showing that phones used by the men involved in the murder of Lowell Fletcher, including phones used by Rosemond and Johnson, tie them to the murder. You will hear about location data showing that phones used by Rodney Johnson and other members of the murder crew were located in the immediate vicinity of the shooting when the shooting happened on September 27, 2009. You'll see maps that graphically display the location data taken from the cell phones including the phone used by Johnson that makes this extremely clear. You'll also hear about cell phone records showing that a cell phone used by James Rosemond was in contact numerous times with members of the murder group before and after the murder. And you'll hear testimony from Slim that Rosemond made these contacts to get updates as to the crew's progress in stalking and killing Lowell Fletcher. You're also going to see video surveillance footage showing Derek Grant, the shooter hired on behalf of Rosemond, stalking Lowell Fletcher minutes before the murder, and showing Grant running to escape after he shot Lowell Fletcher. Witnesses for the United States Attorney lie all the time. They lie so much that it is common knowledge inside legal circles that when a star witness is cultivated, it is also no secret that the star witness is coached and trained by the U.S. Attorney. They practice the witness is going to say on the stand. On the other hand, technological evidence does not lie. And very recently, I've seen the government use cell phone tracking technology to pinpoint locations and communication structures that triangulate cell phone information to be able to pinpoint who is talking or texting to who and where the cell phones are located. That is hard evidence, not speculation. And that hard evidence is hard to refute. In any federal trial, your defense attorney is your last line of defense of the legal onslaught. Bruce Mafio was Jimmy's savvy and experienced criminal defense attorney. Here is his opening statement. What you're going to hear over the next several weeks in this trial is a primer, an introduction to the federal criminal justice system. You will hear that these are people who are charged and facing sentences that literally will keep them in prison for the rest of their natural lives. You will hear that these are people who are apprehended and confronted with overwhelming guilt as to their involvement in other crimes, literally facing a lifetime sentence that will let them die in jail. You're going to hear about these witnesses, and let me give you their names now. Brian James, Brian McLeod, Khalil Abdullah, Muhammad Stewart. Is that these are individuals, some of them in their 30s now, who have committed crimes from the moment they were teenagers. And what sort of crimes are we talking about? every crime conceivable to any of us, whether it is selling drugs at the age of 13 and making hundreds of dollars a week, whether it is shooting at other drug dealers or sometimes innocent citizens, 
whether it is individuals who have gone ahead and committed every species of crime, armed robbery, shootings, assault, narcotics, sales, you name it, they've committed it. And these people have also learned one thing. Very, very early on in their dealings with the United States government, they have learned how to manipulate the system with one goal, to get themselves out from underneath these penalties of life in prison. And how do they do that? It's what we said before. It's for them to come in and meet with the government in an effort to save themselves. These are individuals, ladies and gentlemen, who not only have shown that they are capable of committing any crime, you will hear that each of these individuals have lied at every step of their lives, whether it's to police, whether it's to police officers, whether it's to court officers, whether it's to judges, you will hear that these individuals have themselves lied to the prosecutors at this table during their meetings with them, giving them first one version and then a second version until finally they've reached a version that the government wants you to hear in this court. These are the people that you will have to make your decision as to James Rosemond's guilt, not on any pictures thrown on the overhead projectors, not through any expert witnesses, not through any civilian witnesses. This case rises or falls on whether or not you can find the testimony of these four people credible and believable, sufficient enough to convince each and all of you beyond a reasonable doubt of Mr. Rosamond's guilt. I couldn't have stated it any better than Bruce Mafio. As we progress through the story, you must come back to this key point. The only point really in that is the testimony of the other members of the conspiracy. Now, I also need you to keep an important thing in perspective. This trial that we are examining was the first trial. Jimmy would face three trials inside the Southern District. And the reason for that is dynamic and almost unbelievable. Next time on Unjust Justice.